I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL talk. And just when we thought last week was full of madness, this week things have really taken a turn and we're back into another hub situation box head. Yeah, I'm starting to rethink my premiership drinking credentials. I thought we were only going to be in a two-week lockdown and yeah, drinking every night. So it's, it's starting to starting to wear on, on the big fella. So what do you do, mate? It's craziness. Craziness. I, I just heard Peter Landy say, like, we all got a little bit complacent. I think he's probably spot on. We thought it was over and we thought, you know, eventually we'll get a vaccine and the number is always pretty low. And yeah, now it's, it's sort of turned a little bit nasty. I'd be surprised if uh, if the lockdown, and look, I disagree with that. I think it's horseshit. Uh, I think we're pretty much on top of it. But anyway. The you know hundred cases per day or whatever that they're gonna spin um, to scare the fuck out of everyone. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we're any chance of getting out of it for probably another two to three weeks. Yeah, well, again, I'm not going to get into the politics side of it, but I, I reckon at least a month. And I, I don't know if the competition will end up back in New South Wales just because if they're going to impose restrictions on them, the restrictions, not let them have crowds, this, that, and the other, like. I don't want to be pessimistic because I really want it to come back, but I, I honestly think now it's going to finish in Queensland the rest of the season. No chance. You don't, no chance. You don't think so? No chance. I want to share your optimism. No, still three months to it. It's still three months to the grand final. I know, but last oh, time... I'd, I'd be shocked if it's, not, if it's not back here in the next three weeks, I'd be shocked. Oh. Uh, in the next six weeks, I'd be shocked. I bloody hope so, but last time when it peaked at 40 cases, it took a month. So if we're up to 112 and growing... I can't see them... Yeah, don't worry about cases. Oh, we spoke about this today. Well, I'm, I'm not worried about cases, yeah, cases but... Cases are irrelevant. It's, it's, how many people, it's how many people who are sick that are actually moving around. You could have you could have 100,000 cases. Yeah, but, but, the, but the point yeah, being, last you know, time... 99,000 of those are isolated, then it's isolated. If they only had 40 cases peak time last time and, you know, barely any of those were infectious, they were going off yeah, the cases. Yeah, there was a lot more fear at it last time. There was yeah. so much more fear around it. It was, it was the unknown. Whereas, you know, we've got a lot of people who are vaccinated. The vaccination program's now ramping right up. But, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. I, I'm not buying into the fear. I, I know you watch the news, you watch, you jump on social media like it's fucking fear, 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 fear. The, the facts of the matter are that one person's died in nearly a year from COVID. I'm saying the opposite of fear. And I'm it saying... Nine, it was a 90-year-old woman the other night, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I get people in hospital. That, they're, they're the numbers I want to look, look at. How many people are in hospital? How many people are in ICU? They're the numbers are okay. 
and they're, they're, those numbers are extremely low. In a normal year, at this time of the year, there would be that many people in hospital and, and in ICU for the flu. There'd be more people dying from the flu if we were moving around normally and operating normally as pre-COVID. There, I think I heard someone say today there were about two people a day that were dying of the flu in a normal year. And we're locking down and not moving over something that's killed one person in the last nine months. I, th- I think it's ridiculous. But anyway, we're all pawns in a political game at the moment. Yeah. And we're just little lapdogs who just stay home, sit, stay home. and So I guess we're just going to keep doing as we're told. Anyway, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not scared of it. I respect it. I don't, I don't want to have it. I don't want my loved ones to have it. So I'm, I'm following all the public health orders. I'm pulling my line, uh, pulling, pulling the line or whatever, whatever you want to say, but I, yeah, I, don't, I don't agree with it. Yeah, well, like I said, I'm not going to get in the game of politics. We've gone there before, but the situation is 12 teams have now been relocated into three hubs uh, in southwest Queensland, Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, and at the Gold Coast in those hubs. Uh, and the Gold Coast, they've got the Eels, Dogs, Souths, Raiders and the Warriors in Brisbane, the Dragons, the Sharks, the Tigers, and on the Sunshine Coast, the Panthers, the Knights, the Eagles, and the Roosters, the Titans, the Broncos, Cowboys, obviously already up in Queensland, so the operator's normal. The Storm have just got home. I think it's been confirmed today that their crowd for their homecoming could possibly be up to 75%, and Victoria's obviously pretty much on top of things, so those four will probably operate as normal. I think I saw this afternoon at Canberra, we're trying to get a bit of leniency, but after they were tagged as a red zone along with New South Wales and Victoria, that put them in the situation where they have to come. How the hell are they tagged as a red zone? Uh, they, I don't know. New South Wales are locked out. That, that's, that, that's the sort of shit that you're dealing with with their Queensland Premier. But they're inside New, New South Wales. But, well, they've said that that was from the Victorian tagging as a red zone, which then affected in the other way, so I don't know. But Newcastle this also... This fucking stupid. People are saying Newcastle, the origin, there were zero cases up there. Why are they moving it? I think they're more fearful that people are stupid enough to try and go to Newcastle that are infectious and... Well, it wasn't that. It was politics again. It was the optics of having the New South Wales government say, hey, Sydney, you're fucking locked down. Hey, Newcastle, let 75%, you know, let 24,000 people go to the footy. That's what it was. Hmm. It was an optics decision. The government said to the NRL, just look, bump it, take it somewhere else. I, I, I now think, right, and I'm pretty firm on this, I think Newcastle should get game one next year because they, they had the origin. It was a political decision. It wasn't a health decision. It was a political decision. If it was a health decision, they, they should have moved it if there were cases that popped up there or they were worried. It wasn't a health decision at all. It was a political decision. I think, I think they, should get, they should get game one next year and then play the other two, one at Suncorp, one at ANZ. Yeah, well, you know what's going to happen, though. <laughs> I don't care. I, no, I'm just telling you. Rugby league should look after rugby league people. They should, but they you know what will happen. If Newcastle we're, is a rugby league town. If we're back... Had their game. Yeah, but if we're back to 100% last uh, next year, it'll be all about... I don't care. Well, this, it's going to cost a hell of a lot more to move the whole fucking competition to Queensland... I get that. ...than it is to give Newcastle a state of origin. But at the same time, what do you think they're going to be trying to do next year? They're going to try and recoup every single dollar they can. So The, 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 the difference between, you know, 40,000, 50,000 in terms of ticket sales is is a pittance compared to what they make for the, the TV and the advertising. You know, I'd like to look at the numbers, but I don't think that would be a huge financial hit for them to have it at Newcastle. Yeah, well, all right. Um, from that, 
they're saying that they'll play the games at Seabus, Suncorp, and the schedule won't change. I'll just have to work them within there. I'm kind of surprised. Do you think the, the, if it goes longer than, say, the month or it goes six to eight weeks or further, will those two fields hold up playing all the games? I kind of thought with the lower amount of yeah, cases up that, there. That's, that's, a, that's a furphy. And the traffic that they've got, that maybe they would have had a little more freedom to move around to, say, Redcliffe Stadium, the Sunshine Coast, and use a few other venues. But um, clearly, obviously, with the rules and being able to come in there, they're not going to be able to move around, which is understandable. They're going to try and maximise the dollar. Like you've said, they've already estimated it's going to cost between 10 to $15 million a month if they do stay there long term. So they're looking at double headers, triple headers, ways that they can come up to try and make a bit of money out of the situation. Obviously, Origin's another one where once the government said... No one can attend the game. They've sold it to the Gold Coast. I think the tickets don't go on sale till tomorrow, so there's only going to literally be a 24-hour turnaround. They're hoping to sell out the 27,000-seater. Um, so hopefully that is the case. But, yeah, this is certainly a unique situation. 41 people from each club. So obviously you've got your 30 players and 11 staff. They're talking about moving the families, which is the first hurdle they've hit today with the Queensland government. Um, that you know That's, that's obviously poses its own challenges there and I think now they've had a few not issues today but obviously some people might opt out there was only a handful last year mainly Warriors players but people have got concerns you have Aaron Woods' wife is about to have a baby and a few people like that that potentially uh, are looking at the situation that might have to enter the bubble later or might make a decision to opt out for family reasons that's completely and utterly up to those players it's also having an effect on the NRLW that's going to be pushed back their pre-season at least a week and how they start that off or kick it off or if it um, is still going ongoing when they kick off their competition at the back end of the year we'll have to see how that one plays out on the women's grand finals already been started Central Coast versus Mounties and that's been pushed back I think to the 24th of July so they don't don't need a pre-season because a lot of those girls are playing in the state based competition in New South Wales and Queensland anyway so they should just play that game and then roll into whatever they they had organised The uh, issue there is that they're not professional; they're semi-professional, and they can't go into a bubble. That, that's the issue, because a lot of those, a lot of those women have to work, and that's how they earn their quit. They don't earn their quit out of rugby league. No, and this so lot- the only way they get it off the ground is if they are able, a, able to get those individuals released from their jobs for a period, and then they have to pay them a full-time wage. Mm. And the pay is actually much better for this year, but they're allocated in brackets of how they were signed in terms of marquee, next five, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you're right. The money is not going to be uh, good enough, especially for the bottom end of the squads, if they've got to give up their jobs and or, again, get permission to go away for how long once they get to that situation. But everyone moving up will be in isolation technically for the first two weeks. So hotels to fields and games, et cetera, only. I, I guess the freedoms after that even being in a bubble, they're still going to have limited freedoms within what they're doing. But depending on where they're staying, they might be able to move around a little bit more freely within the hotels that they're in. But... Um, other than that, another part of this knock-on effect today, they've been waiting on an, an announcement about the World Cup, which is looking very unlikely. And in all honesty, I don't know who would be comfortable going over to the UK at the moment, even with the vaccination rate. Now, their infection rate's still high. I, I don't see how you could push forward with a World Cup or who would really want to go over there, given the situation right now. Yeah, well, their mindset's changed, hasn't it? We're locking down and they're opening up. So, uh, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think the concern is the footy. The concern is the fact that they're going to have to come back and then quarantine. That's the concern. So, realistically, the the NRL or the Australian Rugby League need to broker a deal with the government to say that these players can just come back. Every player that gets on that 
plane to go over to the World Cup should be vaccinated. Simple as that. Like, like that's just a no-brainer for me. Fully, fully vaccinate them, send them over to play, and when they come back, they they can move around the community as as normal. They're vaccinated. Yeah, well, again, Otherwise, if I'm a club, I'm saying not a chance. They're gonna you're gonna a take the player away for a chance of injury, and then b you're gonna essentially lock them away in a hotel for um, two weeks of the year, which is going to mean that they're two weeks later back from an already later start to a pre-season. I, I totally get the club's point of view, but I don't think the club should be able to ransack and, and pull the World, World Cup apart. In the end, like, this is what it is. It's part of the rugby league calendar. They, they pushed back the kangaroo tour last year. The World Cup's an important fixture and a, an important date on the calendar for international rugby league. I think we should still be playing the World Cup, irrespective of the clubs. The clubs, that's club football, but they need to work together. It, isn't it just a no-brainer? Why can't the, why can't the, um, <clears throat> they just get on the same page? Who knows? And surely by then, surely by the time when the players are going to leave to go to the World Cup, it'll be, you know, what, October? Surely they can, they can organise some vaccines for the players or potential players that are going to go over and play. Yeah, well, again, I think they wanted to make a decision further out from the comp because there's plenty more logistics that obviously need to be sorted further out, but it's looking unlikely that the World Cup's going to go ahead. So, uh, Well, they've just had Euros over there and it worked fine. Yeah, well, again, I think most of those countries obviously going a different way about it. So I think yeah, I like the way they're going about it. Maybe, tr- maybe try and do appease every single country who's going to be involved, their concerns, quarantine, everything you're bringing up is the main reason why it may not go ahead. But, um, yeah. Lots of things. It's the, it's the clubs thinking from a club's perspective, which I totally get. But our job is to comment on behalf of the clubs. Our, our, our job is to give an opinion on, on, the, on the basis of the game as a whole. And I think it would be, be better for rugby league if there's a World Cup at the end of the year. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with you, but for me, I don't know if I'd be comfortable to go to the UK either. I thought the easiest way around this would have been to relocate. If, if you wouldn't be comfortable going to the UK if you vaccinated. Well, vaccination's one thing. still doesn't mean you can't not get COVID, but in terms of where they're at right now, they're still getting... You're into the fear too, man. I, if I got a vaccination, I'm going. See you later. Well, yeah, I don't know. Like it's... Can't just hide under a rock for the rest of no, lives. not saying to hide under a rock for the rest of lives, but their infection rate's still high. They're in a situation... Yeah, you can't get infected if, you, if you've got the vaccine. You still get infected, you just don't get as crook, but people still get crook. Well, it's, it's like getting the flu shot. People still get the flu. Play on. Hmm. Well, this is a mutated strand. This is not just a one-up thing that you solve with one vaccination. Yeah, anyway, yeah well, neither are you, but we're going to require boosters and other things moving forward, is my point. This isn't just as simple as we have one shot and it goes away. So, well, that's not what I'm saying, but if you're vaccinated, that's the whole point of getting a vac- vaccine. Otherwise, why the fuck are we getting the vaccine? But today, they had 31,000 new cases. That's more than we have total. That's literally yeah, the amount we've had. The population is a lot larger than ours as well. Well, it's 66 million, I think. Ours is 26 billion, so... Yeah, so it's almost triple. We've only had that many cases in total. They've had that one day. Yeah. That's a, f- like a lot of cases. So I'm just saying, there's lots of sides to it, lots of... I don't know, but... In, how, many of those, how many of those cases were vaccinated? Well, I think 80% of their populations at least had one. 65%, I think they said, has had two. But also, again, when you look at... No, the, I'm not talking about... I'm talking about of the people who are sick, how many have, have, are fully vaccinated? I have no idea. That's, 
But again, they've had five million plus cases and one hundred twenty-eight thousand deaths. Yeah, the numbers are irrelevant. It's how many people are getting sick that are vaccinated. Deaths still count. We don't want deaths. No. And I think again, you could, fucking, you could die walking across the street. Like, I get that. Yeah, yeah. But it's the effectiveness of the vaccine. Like, if it, and that's what that's that's my whole issue at the moment is that they're saying, "Oh, we've got this amount." Of, I want to know how many of the cases at the moment are any of the people who have got COVID in in New South Wales in particular. Have they been fully vaccinated? But they're not going to release that information because as soon as you say that someone's got yeah, they've caught it and they've been fully vaccinated, people are going to go, I'm the fucking get the vaccine. Yeah, well, we've already heard. I've had people at work. Everyone's had these different arguments about yeah, it. That's the number I'm interested in, but I don't think we're ever going to find it. And we've had that same argument with other people. Like, you get the flu shot, you still doesn't mean you don't get the flu, but you're hoping that you don't get it as bad or you get over it a bit quicker because you get some antibodies. There's no yeah, way to... I yeah, I, that's, I, yeah, I don't agree with that. I just think... Yeah, you just yeah. don't get immunised for every different little strand of it. I get the flu shot every year, and I still get crook at least probably once a year. Well, I haven't had a flu shot in over a decade, and I think I've been sick about once, but that's just me. I just, yeah, but you work in a different environment as well. So. I just don't go get it. That's just me. Yeah. I don't think about it, but, yeah. Off the World Cup, off that, obviously, huge news for tackle one of our set of six. The NRL relocation feels a little bit like last year except obviously New South Wales was the one that was hosting most of the games different situation here I guess the effect in you know Melbourne was locked up uh, at the sunny coast there teams that were flying down had more travel your Canberra's who were catching the bus were flying every week there was a bigger effect on a lot of other teams but now we're going to see the effect on most of the Sydney teams somebody like Melbourne if they're able to stay at home for the rest of the year puts them in a really positive position they handled the bubble obviously very well last year and kind of galvanised the group. Others not so much. Canberra by the end were saying they were tired and really the travel affected them and the whole situation. Um, you had others that travelled a lot more. North Queensland flying just about every single week besides their home games. You had the flip side of it where Penn. They fly all the time anyway. What's that? North Queensland fly all the time anyway. Yeah, I get that. I'm just saying there's a few teams affected more than others, but teams like Penrith who had the majority of their schedule in Sydney barely had to go more than an hour are now going to be in the bubble situation, away from home, away from family. So it's going to be interesting to see if this has an effect on any other teams, if this does extend further in the year. I honestly think moving into the bubble, into the environment they're going to move into now, is 50 times better than level four at home. Because it was just training home, training home, training home. Now they're going to be at least in a hotel. They're going to have people around them. They're going to have their family around them. They're going to have their teammates around them. I think it's a far better environment. Um, conducive to just being happy and um, you know the weather's obviously going to be a lot better in, in Queensland and after the two weeks quarantine won't they be able to not essentially live as, as normal but they're not going to be in level four like they were down here so I, you know unless you're, you're doing it tough and like you said before you're moving away from you know maybe uh, elderly parents or grandparents or you've got something ongoing in your personal life that's, it's going to make the move hard. I think from a broader perspective, this is a far better situation for the players and the teams. Way better. Well, again... So, you know, I think we should knock the negative shit out and, like, it's a, it's a good it's a good thing for the game because it means the game... Well, most importantly, um, the game goes ahead. For, it's not good for anyone in Sydney because we don't get any footy, but it is good for people in Sydney in that, you know what, it's going to be on our screens. The alternative is, is that they... They pause the competition. Well, I would just so like to. This, this is a far better alternative, and I think the players 
you speak to most players, they'd be, they'd be wrapped to go up there and, and play. Well, I think the NRL's done an outstanding job in the turnaround uh, time in terms of what they've had to deal with. And then, even again, I said it to you today, I don't know... Again, God forbid something happens in Queensland has an outbreak, where will they go from there? And we were speaking about it earlier. Do you think they would try to move again somewhere in Australia or would you try and go to New Zealand where they've got... Fuck, man, they move again. It's my point, though. But would you look at somewhere that is rugby league-based? You've had the Warriors away. If there's there's an outbreak in Queensland and they're in little bubbles, wouldn't it just be that they remain where they are but they, the crowd just go away I, I think that's how it would just play out well I think they still want to be getting something financially out of it if they're zero ca- zero crowds full lockdown level 4 yeah, etc no, again I, I get that I get that they'd but be avoiding if they wanted to stay there and they're in their, their bubbles it would just mean that crowds go away yeah but, and then and then you're right if, if the decision then became that okay we need to make money well let's piss off something yeah, but also just being mobile safer situation where's the best place to be I think if it somehow worst case scenario they had another contingency that New Zealand wouldn't be a bad way to go they've got next to no cases I think they've got two active cases you could move a lot more freely if they agreed to it I'm pretty sure they still open the travel bubble between the countries I don't know if that's been cut off to Sydney now but not the other states it has been to every it's open to everywhere but except Sydney uh, except Sydney so my point again you could get the worries home you could finish the back end of the year but only if something drastic happened but my point is they had a contingency for this if something went wrong again worst case scenario they need something else up their sleeve I think that would be the next best thing to do you could go north, yeah, south island. Right. You could play at all the stadiums. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah but let's worry about that when it but, actually happens. But yeah, they don't have a plan. Crazy they time. Great job, no doubt about it. Yep, crazy times have adjusted quick. Like we said, Origin relocated, the whole game relocated. We'll see where it goes we're from here. Have, we're still going to have no crowds this weekend, though, aren't we? No, they're going to have crowds. Pretty sure they said earlier they're looking at having crowds straight away. Players will be isolated within the two weeks between, again, similar to level four, hotel, training, games, nothing else. Crowds. I don't know if they'll be full capacity, but they're looking at getting crowds straight away. Um, and after the two weeks, they may have some more freedoms within the restrictions of their clubs and some activities they might be able to do, but they're not going to be roaming Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, etc. And the players have proven pretty much themselves that they can't be trusted to do so anyway. So um, I'm assuming for the four weeks, uh, hopefully... A small, a small percentage. Yeah, I know. But I'm assuming they'll want to really have a tight grip on things to make sure that why they're there, and especially if it goes beyond the four weeks, that they've got things under control. So I'm sure clubs will be on top of their players, everything will be monitored, um, and we'll just have to see what happens. For now, they've planned for the four weeks. All games will go ahead as scheduled, just changes of ground, and, yeah, they'll have a plan moving forward if it does go past that point. We'll have to wait and see. But that's tackle one, and all that wrapped up in a neat little bubble. Tackle two, uh, unfortunately, after having breaches couple of weeks prior we had the St George situation and then a couple of days after then now we've had the Jai Arrow situation on top um, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it because obviously you get fatigued about talking a lot of things but this like the, the Dragons thing last week got dragged out and is still getting a run the Arrow thing I felt copped basically a feather and a couple of comments because they had fatigue over talking about the Dragon situation which I think is pretty piss poor uh, had a little bit come out about it today not much else. We always had the Bulldogs before that. We've had the Sharks before that. But um, girl come in from outside the bubble, $35,000, two-game suspension. M- more importantly, I don't know if many people saw his partner, but apparently uh, I think he's lost now. But she was a former Miss Australia, so I don't know what he was thinking. But clearly wasn't thinking a whole lot. 
Um, but in this situation, again, I know the group of the other guys was a lot more players in a bigger group, but if they are speaking truth and it was just players from the bubble and they got together, I think this is worse, in all honesty, to bring somebody in from outside the bubble in a secure hotel in the showpiece of the game for State of Origin. No, it is worse. It's just as dumb. It is just as dumb. Been, he should have been given 50 and 8 games as well. Well, they're claiming that the 50... I guess the, I guess the argument would be that he hasn't had the prior indiscretion. Um, yeah, I, I think two games is very, very light. Well, he, one gets wiped uh, for Origin and he, lo- he misses out on a 15k payment so that was their explanation that that basically means 50 grand because he doesn't get the 15,000 but still I know, but fucking Paul Ford's not going to get the rest of his payments for the rest of this year you bring someone so, in from outside the bubble you potentially expose everybody else like it's it's a pretty yeah, f- yeah, like I, yeah I get it I, and you get yeah, a bit just, of the hindsight of the situation that's just happened a few days before the it's the whole fear mongering thing about oh the virus like forget about that you were fucking told that you're not allowed to have someone in there and you've gone and blatantly broken the rule. That's my problem. I, like, I just don't understand how they don't have any behavioural resilience at all or, or just any awareness of what the rest of society's going through. That, that's my biggest takeaway. It's such entitled behaviour. It's, it's beyond belief. It beggars belief. And... Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it. And then now it's sort of like, well, you know, was there other people there? Were there like, I, I don't understand. I also don't understand, like, you, you see, you, know, so you go, you know what's a good idea? I might just ring and get a, what, a dancer. Was it a dancer? Yeah, something like that. Right. I'll, I'll get it. There, and then there, the comment was that there was minimal contact, minimal physical contact. So, uh, yeah, I, was, I don't know. It's, I've been in a lot of weird headspaces in my time, but sitting in a rugby league camp in a hotel in Queensland preparing for a state of origin and just ordering a dancer, I've never been in that mindset. I, I just don't understand it. And to, to put the opportunity to play to your state in jeopardy for something as trivial as that is, yeah, I... It's strange, strange behaviour. Mm, no, it's just dumb behaviour. They've had enough issues throughout this series, and I think the NRL's even issued a bit of a please explain to the QRL because we've had the Muli Talo situation. Uh, we've now had the Jaira situation. They've... Well, I don't understand how that works. I don't understand how the NRL please explain for what. Well, I think behind the scenes the they're both. Basically... Like, realistically, they govern themselves. Yeah, but it's the showpiece of the game. It's gone from being Muli Talo's eligibility situation, you've now got Jair breaching the bubble, talks about issues within the camp, they weren't really forthcoming with the media, Paul Green basically threw Welch under the bus the other day, walked off and said talk to the NRL, like the whole series from a Queensland perspective has been a shit show. Yeah, but I, that, that's only hurting them. Well, look, it hurts. Paul, he's come out today, Paul, Paul Green came out today and said that he was told to not say anything because the investigation in Ajaya was still ongoing. Yeah. So he got a phone call. He, he won't say who the phone call was from, but he, he got a phone call saying that he was not to make comment on the Jaira situation. And it must have been from the NRL because he then said refer any inquiries to the NRL. So in a roundabout way, he hasn't actually said who's wrong, but in his statement on the day when he didn't make comment, he said, please contact the NRL. So why were they happy enough to put Christian Welch there to make comment, though? Well, he didn't. 
Well, he did. They asked him questions about the situation and Arrow and... up there and Christian Welch answered the questions. Which were all... Christian Welch could have said, I'm not commenting on it, like Paul Green did. He didn't have to answer the questions. Yeah, I, I thought it was weak, to be honest, the way to put him up there, but um, that's my opinion. So. But he was going to go up there anyway. Well, he was answering questions irrespective of what happened prior to it. No, he wore the brunt of all of it. No, no, it's just him. We baby people. It's like, oh, I feel so sorry for Christian Welch. What? I don't feel sorry for Christian He's Welch, but you're the fucking coach. You're the coach. You're the leader. You're the yeah, one who's running yeah, it. I get, that. I get, that. get on the front if foot. Address it. Well, it's a bit too late. He's just been told not to say anything, not to address it. Yeah, well. So that's why he didn't address it. So I don't know what you want him to do. She's been told not to address it. He didn't address it. And I understand he got criticism for it. I, I don't then understand why, if if the if the blanket approach was to not address it, then Christian Walsh should have been told not to address it. Exactly. So I just think the whole thing's been a shit show on their side. Well, it's a shit show. If, if that's the NRL that has told Paul Green not to make comment, they should have then gone to every player and told them not to make comment. Hmm. Or they should have said to Paul Green, you need to get all the players together and you need to make sure damn clear that no player talks about it or addresses it. So in the end, you can the responsibility can fall wherever it falls. But, you know, I think if he was told to not comment on it and we're criticising him for not commenting on it, I, I just don't see how that's valid criticism. Anyway, like, I think Christian, Christian wants to be boy. He addressed it. He move on. He's not losing sleep over it. I think we just we're looking to be outraged in Well, on the back of it, like their whole series has been an embarrassment. It's only it's only it reflects poorly on them, on the QRL and their governance and their leadership and their players. Their, their players are going to take some responsibility as well. The whole thing, which is my whole point, the whole situation. Yeah. And so uh, the NRL can hand out as many police complaints as they want. I, I don't think the Queensland Rugby League have probably got to the bottom of why this has been such a shit show. But again, they, before you point the finger outwards, you should probably point it inwards. Start having a look in your own backyard. And that's, I guess, what they're going to do at the end of this series. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens and obviously the result and how they turn up and play. Hopefully they do have a crack because so far, game one was obviously an absolute whitewash. Game two, there was a few little moments that could have swung their way to potentially make it a closer game, but they didn't happen in the end and they didn't end up scoring a point. They've scored one try all series, there's been a complete disconnect. There's been comments from players even during the game into the press conference. It's just it's been very awkward, very disjointed. It's the complete opposite of what we saw last year. So, um, yeah, well, they won last year. Yeah, Those but we didn't see yeah, any of that stuff. Is awkward. So it's going to be interesting. But, yeah, on that side of things, we obviously have the Arrow situation. We've got the Dragon situation. That's all basically been resolved now. They had 10 players sign an affidavit or a stat deck. There's two that haven't, but they sought legal advice on their own accord beforehand. Uh, they've both been told... Why would you seek legal advice if, there, wasn't, if no. there was something to seek legal advice for? No idea. They're saying that Alvaro did it first on his own accord straight away, uh, and they've told him not to sign, and Lomax kind of followed suit afterwards. So I don't know why, but if they do not sign, they're not going to be able to go to Queensland immediately and join with the normal isolation and play straight away. Yeah, they are. They're, they're going to have to go into hotel quarantine. They have to do two weeks before they go, so it's going to be potentially a month that they No, well, they're going to go. They have to go, and they're going to sit in a hotel in Queensland. Yeah, but they can't go until they sign. They said that yeah, tonight. Well, they, yeah. So it could end up being a month before they play if they don't well, sign no. before Wednesday. Well, no. They, 
they can, they can go right now. No, they have to but sign before they go. Right, but if, yeah, no, they can go right now, but if they haven't signed it, they do the 14 days. Uh, Valani, if they sign it, they go straight into the bubble. Yeah, but Valani's just said on 360, if they don't sign before Wednesday, they're not going straight and they can't play. They'll have to go separately, and it could be up to a month before they play. So they've got until Wednesday to make a decision about if they're going to sign or not. Otherwise, they go separately. Two weeks on their own, they can't join the players as they are now, uh, training and playing. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if they're trying to pressure them into signing or what they're doing. I don't know why they're not signing, but they've got themselves in a fairly unique situation. Let's put it that way. And, uh, interesting also, probably out of this whole situation, is just the media battle that's now evolved out of it. Mark Riddell made some comments uh, being across the road of what he saw and that it didn't fit the media narrative who were asking neighbours and himself and others for comment that it was a ruckus party and things were crazy and he said it was a barbecue, people came, people went. There's nothing more to it. You haven't seen direct quotes, stories, or people aired because it doesn't suit the narrative. They've then had James Hooper fire shots at him, Buzz Rothfield's fired shots, and he's retaliated. So uh, it's f- funny to see. Uh, yeah, like, please, really, like, what, what did you want Mark Riddell to do? Snittering the cops? Yeah, I just, I just laughed. And at... Realistically, do you think this, this is just assuming that every person in every neighbourhood is just looking through their fucking front window or whatever and else is doing for? every minute of every day or, or every Saturday night. Like, you know, the, the only reason I would, I would even raise my eyebrows about what my neighbours are doing is if, A, there are a lot of cars around or, B, that there was a lot of noise. Mm. I just think... There, there, there could be fucking 20... There could be 20 people in the house across the road now, I know, if they're not making a shitload of noise and there's not a lot of cars. No, I just think... No, I think they're just probably the two, the two things that really tweak... And a lot of these players would have been dropped off. They wouldn't have driven their own cars, I wouldn't imagine. Right. So, I, just, yeah, I don't get it, man. Uh, like, Mike Riddell's good on him for standing his ground and blowing back at some of these reptiles. Oh, I enjoyed it. Like I said... It's just this social media. They they want to they wanna stir outrage and they want to stir hysteria. Like, it's somehow... Mark Riddell's got some sort of semblance of responsibility for what happened because he lives across the road. It's ridiculous. Mm. No, it's no different to Hooper and all that carrying over as well, though. It's like they all protect one another and they got called out on a few things they've done in their past. So he's basically saying those who throw stones in glass houses, you're all sitting there every week and cop and earn off the game and dish out all this judgment. But Yeah, but in the end, that's the sort of shit that people like. Yeah, no, and that's what sells, unfortunately. But So that, that and that's why that... that... I guess element will keep spinning. I just I find it funny though. He he makes a simple and small comment, and then suddenly you've got all these journalists writing other stories about him that he's now in trouble with nine bosses and his job's under threat and this that and the other. Like they just in their own little clique, they could certainly cause a whole lot of trouble. I think what Mark Riddell did should make him more employable, not less employable. Oh, I hundred percent agree, and I've quite enjoyed what he's throwing back at Hooper and Buzz. So, interesting, but on the back of that, speaking about St. George before we move on, uh, make and move. I didn't like it, Matt. I wasn't a fan of what he said. Matt, my, he, my cheeks surely aren't that pink, are they? Matt, he has a responsibility to the game to rat on the players, all right? And as he said, listen up, red cheeks. I'm not a rat like you, which is why nobody likes you. <laughs> so, so, 
Boom. He threw the left right good night. But they've made some moves. The Dragons on the back of that. George Burgess apparently has been signed on a two year deal on super cheap, which is uh, interesting because he left to go to Wigan. He's had a hip replacement, so that's going to be interesting. But also, Jaden Sewell reportedly a three year deal hasn't been announced yet. Waiting for that one to come out. They made an offer to Will Hopawate for a year, I think, but it looks more than likely that he will be going to St. Helens and temporarily the NRL has let them loan Jermaine Tanoa Brown from the Warriors, I think, to the end of July to help out while they're low on some stock. So uh, a few moves off the back of what's happened there. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Tackle three. Try July. I'm a big fan for Moshi Masoi. And I think the Hemlin Ueli on a more positive note was one of the best things I've seen, and especially from a weekend of football that wasn't that enjoyable. It was yet yeah, good. It was a good, good try More of the players are starting to get on board, and all I can say is fucking get on board. If you, like seriously, I'm sure your coaches can appreciate the situation, have a bit yeah. of personality for five or ten seconds, come well, up with something. As a coach, if players went to one after every try. Well, exactly. I've seen a lot that aren't doing anything. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Surely you all know about it. Five thousand dollars for Mossy Masoy. It goes for all you of July. Five thousand if you don't do one. The oh, fuck, get on board. Sports bet make plenty of cash. They're giving it away. Like just something, anything. Yeah. I've enjoyed a couple of them so far, but that one has taken the cake so far. The people's elbow, the right hand, and then Aaron Wood said today that hopefully Williams scores before the end of the month because his return reply for Hamilton Ueli is apparently even better. So. Good. They should just let him score. Fingers crossed. Set him up. Get him in there somehow. Sort it out. Sort it out. Tackle four. Some signing news. There's plenty going on. We've seen a bit of delay this year, obviously. Uh, players waiting to see what's going on. There's been talk that some were waiting for length of deal depending on the future of another club coming in. There's talks, obviously, what's going on. That's probably going to be pushed back a few years. Salary cap stuff. All sorts of moves going on, but there's been a lot of re-signings and a couple of signings during the week. Manly have continued their re-signing streak. Lachlan Croker extended for two more years. The Morgan Harper deal has now been done for two more years. And the club has taken up an option on Kieran Foran for one more year, which probably shows, I guess, their intent to persist with Josh Schuster uh, in the back row from what they've seen so far, rather than the sixth position. Brody Jones, who has got some time with the injuries at Newcastle there, has been extended by two years. Matt Tomoko at Canberra has been locked away for another two years. Isaac Liu, moving on from the Roosters, three-year deal to your Gold Coast Titans. How do you feel about that one? Yeah, I was happy with that. Getting uh, a bit of a veteran presence in your forward pack there with a bit of winning experience. Yeah, bit of maturity. Yep. Uh, you've obviously got Fisher Harris has been talked for a long time we've talked about it the massive extension now up until 2026 he's still only in his mid-20s I think he's worth every dollar they're saying close up to 800,000 or more Uh, he's the best prop in the game if you're talking about Haas which is another one that's been floated getting a 10 year 10 million dollar deal and some guy's been on 7, 800,000 he's well worth top end money for a prop No, and I was about to say that. The Haas... 750, 750 is probably the absolute roof. And I probably only want about 600 of that on the cap. The Haas situation hasn't been done yet, but there's a lot of talk they're going to go that way. We're talking about a 21-year-old prop. Um, I think it's a huge risk, and with all clubs so far, 
in terms of long-term deals. We haven't seen many play out that well. If you want to talk about the two longest-term deals in the more recent times, what they paid, you know, the length of term. I think the Ben Hunt deal was like an eight-year deal, different position as well in halves, and it's a different market. But I wouldn't say he's your ordinary prop as well. He plays ridiculous amount of minutes. He's only 21. He's probably going to get physically stronger, add more to his game. But at the same time, without being able to see what the future looks like in terms of either salary cap, rule changes again, injuries, all these sorts of things, etc. If you're going to do a long-term deal for somebody that's absolutely exceptional, I completely understand that. But I would be very hesitant to go more than four or five years for someone that I was absolutely settled on. A 10-year deal, um, yeah, just blows me away. And looking at like a Cherry Evans, I know, again, it's a half. The 10 years that he's potentially given out right now, there's no way he's been worth that money. Hunt, again, with his deal, hasn't been worth that money. Different position, I know, probably a more valued position. Um, you look at the last long-term deal that Brisbane did that bit him on the ass, Anthony Milford. Was, was Hunt, is Hunt on an eight-year deal? Hunt's deal total, I think, ends up being eight years or seven years. Bloody hell. Yeah, so it was a long deal. Cherry Evans won. Cherry Evans was basically a decade, I think, at the end of it. Um, and then you look at Brisbane's biggest deal they've done, which is the most recent one for Anthony Milford, which was, I think, four or five years, and that hasn't really worked out. So, again, different position, different value. But when you talk about investing in someone from that long, I think it would be a real statement signing. Um, putting six a, years. But six years. I think it's got extras on top of it, though, doesn't it? I think he's got options in his favour for another two. Five-year five contract with a one-year option. Right. Kerry Evans was a $10 million deal. Kerry Evans, $10 million over eight years. Yeah, and I think on top of that, there was uh, triggers in it as well, which is another thing they don't have to talk about as far as clauses I've been able to extend. But uh, Benny Hunt has still got next year, and then he's got an option for 2023. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So you talk about these long-term deals, $1.2 million, like are you getting value for money? I just think there's too many things that can change. You also talk about what we've seen before, the long-term deals, which is complacency. I don't know. The six years in his favour. Yeah, and I don't think I'd want to give that to a 21-year-old. Like He's going awesome right now, but who's to say 10-year contract that you're going to get that consistently over 10 years? And then the flip side is the Tamalolo situation where in this new set of rules, he's probably he's definitely not worth a million dollars. He's a mobile, big middle, yeah. but in the slow wrestle... I don't think any middle... In the, in the old style game, they probably were. You know, he was probably worth that, but yeah. no, not a chance. There was exception to the rules. It was a slower game. There was more stoppages. You needed that exceptional athlete with power, with footwork, with an offload to make a dent. Now things are more broken and open up. I know Haas kind of suits that, but who's we don't know where we're going to be in five or so years but all those other factors like we said there's the lifestyle factor maturity when he has a family complacency like there's, there's so many things that play into that but I just I, don't, I wouldn't be giving out a 10 year contract I think it's insanity 
The last couple of deals that have been done to finish us off are the Bulldogs, some signing news there as well. Jeremy Marshall King, who we only talked about the other week, uh, when they were looking at Kenny, I said I'd just sign him the other way. Signed till 23. Arva Siamanafanai also signed till 23. And Matt Dufty, they've picked up for one year. And I've seen people questioning that one. I don't know why, because I look at this situation going, well, no one's super keen on him. He doesn't want to go overseas. He's got a point to prove. They pick him up for absolute pittance compared to the shit signing they made last year where they overpaid to get Allen out of South and paid half a million dollars. So I look at this and kind of think you kind of counterbalance in that position to give yourself a bit of flexibility. If he plays well and it works out, he might get an extension, he might get to go somewhere else. But for now, they get cheap labour and they get someone who can attack, which is something they certainly lack. So on the flip side of that, they've got 12 guys off contract. Out of those, I don't think many of them will end up staying. Um, and there's the potential with the Flanagan situation where I, th- I think he's on the outer now as well. So looking at that, if you've got Burton, who I'd partner with Avarillo, Lachlan Lewis showed again on the weekend that he's a steady option. He's, you know, probably more y- your third option or a guy you're bringing in when you've got injuries. But if you've got those three and they stick with a Wakeham or they're happy with someone coming through, like if the Flanagan thing's not going to work, I, I, I don't, I, I see a situation where they potentially move on. So interesting times, but for them, they've got Tavita Pengai Jr. on their radar. It was said last week that it was on Brisbane's end now to make a decision, so he may end up there as well. But that's uh, a little bit of what's been going on on the side of things in terms of contracts and other clubs out there. And uh, speaking of the Bulldogs, tackle four with those signings still pushing to get Brandon Smith. The guys that are unsigned there right now, what's coming through? Uh, what are we thinking for next year? Like, do you, do you think out of those twelve guys there, they're going to have to lock up some guys, given the way they are in the market? Do you think they're going to have to take people on one-year deals potentially if they can't attract other players or get guys in and try to just go heavy in next year's market? Well, the the process is always going to be if you're going to move someone out the door, you need to have someone coming in the door that's. A, at the right price and B, is better than the person you're moving out. So it's just that simple process. I, I'm not sure how else I can approach it. Um, there's a clear void there at the moment, particularly at the back end of their squad. They're, they also haven't been fit at all this year. They've had injuries coming out the wazoo and we know that first team at Mounties because, you know, for probably the first 10 weeks we were getting minimal feedback in terms of players or volume of players. And you never, it wasn't until sort of the last month or so that we started to get a consistent feed of players back because when you've got that lack of quality and you've also got a new coach, he's going to turn through some and try and work out, you know, who's who's up for it, who's not up for it. So they're just in that stage of infancy around, A, probably, they're through the process now, I think, of who they're going to keep or who they want to keep. Now they're moving through, okay, well, who's off track? You know, Tulu to whoever that is. How do we replace them on the market? And that's probably more to what you're talking about. But also it's that process of, well, okay, who's on contract that we don't want? And how can we shift those contracts? That's where the good clubs are very good at manipulating and moving and finding a way to get themselves out of bad deals and getting 
twofold. A, a better player, and B, a better salary. And that's how you work your salary cap. So the, the Bulldogs are in that in that process now. Their, their 18s uh, were going well. Their 20s were going well. We were going pretty well at New South Wales Cup and Massey level. So there's certainly green shoots there. Yeah, I'm just sitting here now going, at this point in the season, to have still 12 off contract. Yeah, but what, so what do you want him to do, rush in and... No, not rush in. I don't want to rush, but... I think it's smart. Like, you should... If, if there's not someone... You don't want to go and panic someone. No, you don't want to go and panic someone. Do that. But you also have to fill your roster as well. So I'm like, by this point, surely... Yeah, but when does he need to fill his roster? Not until the middle of next year. Mm-hmm. But you also don't want to let... 28 by, 28 by the end of February. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of movement starting to happen, blokes re-signing. If there's people you've had on your board or you're looking at or you're targeting, you need to start making decisions on where you're moving. You're also assuming that you're also assuming that they're not going for some of these players. Well, I'd assume they probably are, but I, would think, I, th- I think they're probably I think they're probably in for a lot of these players, and some of them they're not landing. Looking at what they've got, I think Renault Fatoni, Tui Katoa is younger, Lachlan Lewis I'd keep, and there's been a lot of talk about Ockenbore purely because they can keep him for cheap, and he's been injured for the most of the year. They might see what they've got, but of Dean Britt, possibly Christian Crichton. I know Hopewadi's basically a guarantee to move on. Sione Katoa. Napa's huge wage, and he's coming off for 650, putting himself on the market for 300, which, again, in the new rules, the way he's been playing in his form, I don't think anyone's ever going to pay that. Uh, off the hickey, Ogden, Romanos, Chris Smith, I think at least eight of them will be moved on. But you look at the kids they've got coming through, there's a few there, there's some green shoots. Alamadi played finally for Flegg after some injuries. They signed for three years out of SG Ball. Would he go straight up into the NRL squad next year? Um, I think they were looking... At trying to get Ryan Madison. I know there was talk they've signed Dean Madison in a way, and Madison Ryan Madison's only taken a one-year deal, so he's potentially a target in a position of need next year in the back row. So uh, they've definitely got some decisions to make. They were pushing for Mitch Kenny, but now they've got Marshall King. I don't know. They signed both of them. Yeah, they, they didn't have a hooker. But Brandon, Brandon Smith, I they've know got, that. They've got um, Deeds and Josh Daly who are with us, who are both quality players like, mm. like Deetsy played first grade and Josh Daly's just as good as Deetsy so he could he could have easily played first grade he could have easily been the player like if Deetsy was injured at that point in time Josh Daly could have easily been the player playing first grade that, that's how close they are like it, you know and I've spent a long extended period of time watching them both very closely and they're they're both you know New South Wales Cup players easily uh, and guys that you know, with with a full preseason, I think could be in our players, but they need that time to develop. Uh, so they've got those two options. At I guess from a Mounties uh, perspective, but I think they need a, they need a front line gun hooker. Like we're talking an Origin type hooker. That's what they need. They're not only, I think they're going by Mitch Kenny because I think Mitch Kenny's probably as good as. Marshall King, really. I, if, if that's the case, I'd instead of going and paying probably overs to get Mitch Kenny, I'd, I'd just keep Marshall King and then probably look at Daly and Deets and work those guys. That would be my my angle on it. I, I think that's where you get yourself in trouble when you go and pay overs to someone who's not actually going to solve the problem that you've got. No, and there's so from still that perspective. I probably would. I probably would wait until next year and then go hard at someone if they miss out on. 
on a, on a gun hooker this year. Well, I think November 1, they'll be straight back after Brandon Smith. They've made no secret about that. They pushed for it already. Melbourne told them the same thing they told them last year, which is we want another player or something of value or we're not letting him go. And he's accepted that. He's Yeah, but I mean, it's, not, it's, not, it's the Melbourne's decision once he's off contract. Yeah, exactly. But my so, point is he'll be able to make that decision come yeah, November 1. What would Brandon Smith want to go with? Well, they've told him he's not going early. He's got a contract, so it doesn't matter. But yeah. my point is, of November 1, he's in the last year of his contract. He could sign elsewhere. I have no doubt the Bulldogs 100%. will be one of the teams, and I'm sure the Titans will be the other one, of the two that I think will go very, very hard to try and get him there. So uh, they've got some moves still to make. They've got some spots to fill, but it'll be interesting yeah, like to see. Anyone, anyone who doesn't have a hooker of, of his capability is certainly going to be looking at him. Hmm. Well, tackle five... Uh, the Cowboys situation started rocky at the start of the year. Things got back on track. They pushed some kids in. Form started to turn. Their spine was playing quite well together. They've now come off the back of four losses in a row. couple of big scores. The move from Clifford, getting deared in, obviously sort of changed the balance of the spine. Holmes's form was on the up. It sort of hit a bit of a, a, a downtrend again. You've got Drinkwater who's struggled a little bit as well with some of those changes. And then the run on the back end of the season here coming home, they've got the Roosters, they've got the Storm, they've got Parramatta, they've got Manly. Uh, you look at games that are more winnable, they've got the Dragons, the Tigers, the Titans teams around them. Uh, it's a very interesting situation. Peyton, extremely frustrated, still very blunt and honest. I found his uh, press conference interesting again. I, I, I don't know. I honestly think the group might be just scared of him. Scared of him, like he's really got to have a look in the mirror. He's gone and signed Chad Townsend, who the Sharks actually rode out of town and were happy to have seen go and play for the Warriors when they're a finals contender. And they've gone and signed Tom Dita, who I mean, has now had, I guess, not a continual 20, uh, 12 months in first grade, but he's had a, a period in first grade and he looks. Down on confidence and well, he's lost. really a shell of what he could potentially be. He's lost 18 games in a row because he played at Brisbane and now he's come there and I think he's lost his well, first few go. games. Man. So he's only played 26 they're, games. They're, they're paying huge money for Valentine Holmes. He's not a fullback. They've got Scott Drinkwater there who just keeps getting shuffled around. Like they can't really seem to settle on, like, is he a fullback or is he, is he a 5'8"? Like, like, I think Scott Drinkwater would do well, to just move on. And who's actually going to play him in the position that he wants to play because they're getting no continuity there. I, I don't understand. I agree with what Shane Flanagan said. I don't know whether you heard what he said about the interchanges. Like, they've got Reese Robson who's their best hooker and they bring him off for the last 20 minutes of every game and put Jake Grevel on. And I've been saying this for the last two or three years. Like, in my opinion... Jake Granville's done as an NRL player. Like, he had that period when he was really dominant and effective, but I, I, just, I just don't see how he has deception and manipulation and oh, I I heard. the things that he needs in order to be effective in an NRL game. Like, it was, it was okay when, you know, you play behind Tom Lowe and Scott and, you know, those those type of guys and, and they're bumping down the front door for you and you're, you're rolling through and you're passing the ball to Thurston but the, that that Cowboys is long gone and I think the game that suited Jake Granville and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Jake Granville but 
I just don't understand why the Cowboys are persisting with him. They're just signing for another year, I think. Well, they've got a, a year with an option, but I heard it differently to you because Flanagan was saying he's confused as to why he puts him on at the back when he can't affect the game. The game's gone. He was saying he would put him on at the back end of the half and at the start into the second half and actually let him have an effect on the game. He was questioning... Yeah, but with the, with the mindset that you're also going, you also want Robson to finish the game, Mm, but he's saying, why have him at all if you're not going to use him yeah, early enough to have an effect? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. You're right. But the, that, from that perspective, it's like, well, why are you picking two hookers if you're just going to... Unless he's had an off, off, you know, an you know, off, I guess, a private conversation with Granville and said, listen, mate, you'll, you'll only get on if the game's gone or if we've got an injury to Robson. But even that, I look at... That's not really a way to... Coaching first grade, so I don't, I don't, I found it really strange. I just wouldn't pick him at all. No, it's like the argument with his interchanges with Tamalola. Because I think Robson, Robson's a really good player. Yeah, I, I, I just and, throw. And I, and I sympathise with Granville as well. I understand what Flanagan was saying, but I, I also think it's not smart to bring your best hooker off with twenty minutes to go. Well, he's either an eighty-minute player or he's not. If he's an eighty-minute player, I don't carry another nine. Not with Robson. Because I, I think at the moment he's probably the most effective player in their spine on a week to week basis. Yeah, I need to go through the, a lot of their songs. The Tamalolo interchange is the other one that confuses a lot of people because he goes off in the middle part of the game there, which is generally when they uh, are getting. They're giving basically two 30 minute stints. Mm, and they're getting pulled apart in those periods, which people are saying, well, if you pay that money. It's on the lack of quality of replacing Tamalolo. And that's. Again, I also think they're very young. I think they've made some positive moves this year in terms of they've got a few of those older guys out. I'm sure we'll see the back of a few more of them. Um, but blooding guys like Lukey um, and getting them more game time, I think, is definitely a good thing. You've seen Gilbert, who's only 20 years old. Tulagi, he's only early 20s. Did and why, like I said, he's lost all those games. It was majority boys at Brisbane. He's still only 20 years old, so he's debuted at 18. He's obviously... Probably lacking confidence, but yeah, Lamilu, Talungi, Hamiso's only 20, Arcee's only 20. They've got a lot of young guys there. They need to get more experience in to help Tamalolo because at the moment they're leaning on him. And he talked about McLean the other night. Like, McLean's not even been close to the standard uh, since he's been there of what you would have expected for what they've paid him. They need more help, more leadership, um, and they need more out of their spine. So it's going to be interesting. But yeah, four losses in a row, it's kind of gone in two different waves for them. It started really poorly, headed in an upswing, and then it's kind of come on a downswing again. So, interested to see how they finish the year. And the last one we've got here, probably more a general comment, tackle six, than something to go into. We've obviously talked plenty about the Tiger situation, but uh, a lot more smoke, and when there's smoke, there's fire this week about the Michael Maguire situation. And I, I just think it's poor. We said it was coming. Yeah, it's pretty poor, I think, on the club's end. They're saying that the players have felt disrespected about the comments last week about needing men, and uh, they've been having texts and things getting around, but then it's obviously come out now. Prove him, that's my point. Well, if you want him to not say things like that, fucking prove him wrong. You're supposed to be first graders. And well, he's saying it every second week. Yeah, but it's been an ongoing trend. It doesn't matter who's coached them. They've just been in a cycle Correct. of failure. So. Correct. They're little babies. They get offended when, you know, daddy gives them a smack on the bum. Well... How about you think about why you got the smack on the ass? And then the perfect example this week of that culture is Nofaluma, who's probably been one of the guys that busted his ass for a long time, finally gets 
a good long-term deal to almost finish his career off, and he's been terrible this year, and then he turns up half-cut to training this week and gets kicked out of the leadership group, and it's like, well, they've just put their faith in you after long-term service and paid you long-term to finish your career, and you're playing like a busted. So, yeah, exactly. I, I just... On social media and bagging out your middles. Yeah, he was talking defence and this, that, and the other, and all sorts of things, and it was like, wow, that... They're talking about waiting till Sheens gets there and get his feet under the desk and assess the situation, let him make a decision. I'm like, well, fuck that. Well, he's, not, he's also not the coach. I still don't think that, that Maguire is the problem. I think there's, like we've talked about a million times about that going on, there's a much bigger problem at the club than just the coach. But it's, Maguire should have his CV out looking for another job. Yeah, when he took that, it's crazy. And then again, they've brought up again afterwards, like who would take it and... You know, would a Flanagan like if I was Flanagan, I definitely wouldn't take that job. I think Flanagan could, could definitely get a better job, and they're saying a first-time coach like Serraldo would take that. And I'm like, well, good luck with that if that's your first job. Mm. So interesting to see what happens, but a lot of talk that he may get the flick before season's end, or even before Sheens gets there, which was the whole point. You get him in there to oversee it, help out with him. Um, obviously, coaching back in the day, the Raiders has something to do with him, but. Yeah, they're, they're talking about the Broncos game being targeted, and if that's not a good result this week, that it could spell the end for Michael Maguire. So, never a dull moment in Tiger Town, that's for sure. But that wraps up set of six for this week. On to our power rankings brought to you by the Penrith Solar Centre. And you want to know what is worse than seeing your team cop the wooden spoon this season? It's getting slapped with a big rising power bill that puts you more on edge than an Origin Decider, which we don't have this week. It's a dead rubber. But Penrith Solar are the leader in solar specialists and they help you and your family and local families take back control over their bills. Let the sun work for you, your home and your back pocket. Contact them today on 1820 2930 to discuss how they can make you the real winner this season or head to the website www.penrithsolar.com.au. Number one, Melbourne Storm. Yeah, I thought we were doing power rankings, Jim. Uh, well, I had it written down, so my bad, but... There's not a whole lot of change. Penrith is still number two for me. Yeah, we'll just have a split round. Yeah, Storm, mm. Penrith. Yeah. Uh, South. Got South Eels. at three. Eels. Eagles at five. Roosters, yeah. Roosters at six. I dropped the Eagles. I put Roosters at five. Eagles at six. Mm-hmm. And seven and eight. I have left the Dragons at seven, even though they're eight and eight. Uh, I haven't. They're out. You're I've out. I've got Knights, Sharks. Well, I've got the Knights and I've got the Sharks just out because they may have won on the weekend, but they did lose to Brisbane. So, uh, that's a situation in itself. But interesting to see now we're on the home run after this week. Uh, this round will be origin affected about who backs up, but the top six are well and truly locked in. Manly are a little bit closer, but when you look at the pack, seven and nine is sitting on the outside. Six and ten, the Titans, Raiders and Cowboys are on life support. Uh, and you'd almost think Warriors, Tigers, etc. Everyone from there down is almost done. But the Dragons, they've got a little bit of a buffer despite the situation they're dealing with at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see how they go because their draw coming up is not exactly friendly. I think for them, with what's coming up yeah, in terms of resting those players, I'd be resting six against Manly. I'd be resting the other six against South, and I'd be trying to win the two games that directly affect where they are on the ladder, which one is against your mob, the Gold Coast Titans, and I think Canberra was the other game in that four-week period. Well, I'm not sure they're allowed to do that. That's what I mean. I, I, I don't know if they are, but they said two or four weeks, so if it can be done over a two-week period, I'd be sacrificing myself in those two games and trying yeah. to beat the teams under me. Because after that, 
say if they I'm lost. Sure, but they're even allowed to do that. Then they've got to play yeah. Penrith. The Roosters. Cowboys later. Yeah, um, I hate looking at draws because you assume they're going to beat some and others, and then it never happens. They're playing the three of the top four foot in four of their last eight games. So yeah. to hold on. The Dragons are gone. That, that's killed their season. You can't lose half your side across a three or four week period. Plus now these two that aren't going to sign the stat decks. Like good luck. Mm. And you, you're not that talented anyway. You, don't, you can't just rely on talent or where you currently sit on the table. They they need to win at least half their games. And I just can't see them doing that. Yeah. Well, again, with what's under them, I don't know. But I don't don't know if anyone from that six and ten group. It's not about what's under them. Well, they, someone needs to come take them over as well. They'll, it's probably a losing record to get you in this well, year. Well, you're saying that everyone, like, there'll be someone below them that'll take them over. Yeah, it's going to have to be two teams to push them out is more my point, but everyone, there's yeah, a couple there that are going pretty poorly, so. I don't know whose money I'll, I, I don't have, have it on, and it wouldn't be the Dragons. Not a chance. Mm. Well, it'll be interesting. After see you backed up this weekend, they've got Manly on Friday. They've got two there. Manly... I don't know if they'll back up Tommy. I'm sure they'll probably want to, but one day in between, I don't think that'll be the case. Uh, DC more likely to back up, but yeah, heading in the reviews of the games from the weekend now. Speaking of Manly, they played Canberra 30 to 16. Manly early got that try. Looked very simple. Looked like one of those nights where they might go on with things. They've been full of confidence, obviously, with the results they've racked up. But after that, Canberra just simple possession. They were heaps more direct. They simplified their game. They ran hard. Uh, they really worked over the middle and the repeat sets especially at the back end of the first half and just building pressure and getting gas out of Manly they just picked on their middle Sam Williams walked through a couple of times uh, Starling and his footwork and getting out of those tired middles and then in the second half similar deal again Manly just couldn't get out of their own way their middle was worked over they struggled to hold the ball they tried to play that style of football they do where they shift it and have the movement but you take DC and in particular Tom out and it just doesn't work and uh, they never really settled they got pulled apart the impact of the bench in particular for Canberra to Pine come on made 230 something metres Sutton was huge and Gula was outstanding as well but winning the middle being direct and, and Hodgson I thought added some great spark there and when he pushed out and Starling came in and, and the halves just real solid job Frawley Sam Williams, six dropouts between them, controlled things. Uh, I think it was eight dropouts. That was the biggest thing. They built pressure. Mm. Probably got the majority of them. Um, look, the biggest one for me to take away here, long term listeners of the pod, Dylan Walker and the Haas just doesn't work. I, well, I didn't understand looking at the team uh, list. He had Kate Cust. They tried to play a brand of footy that wasn't conducive to wet weather football. Nah. Well, Simple. They had Cust on. But again, they had a genuine half in Cade Cust, who I don't understand why he doesn't get more football. I just even the poodle, the poodle. What's it? Harper. He, he's played a little bit of six. I would have, I would have played him there before I played Walker there. Yeah, I just would have played Cust, so he's a genuine half. Like it's, it's an easy solve. He has him right there. It's a bit like the whole, you know, the Lawton in the back row thing's been working for now, but against better teams, I don't think that's going to pay off because he's not a back rower, he's a nine. Yeah, yeah. it was an ordinary game. Any, any game with Dylan Walker in the, in the halves is an ordinary game. Look, um, well done, Canberra, but with how well they completed, 
they had a few shaky moments. And the Canberra's the Warriors side doesn't know how to win at the moment. And they won. So let's see if they can build a little bit of confidence out of it. Yeah, well, like you said, 90% completion, eight dropouts, and they played much more yeah, simple exactly. and direct with the forward pack, which is what we expected. And that's what they need. Like, they need someone like a Frawley who can build pressure like that with a one. You can't have, you can't just have two runners. And that's essentially how they've been playing. Sam, Sam Williams doesn't have that type of kicking game in him that I saw from Frawley. But the issue, I guess, is that Frawley plays on the left side, which is white side. So... Well, I think Sam's got a good enough... They just don't stack. Like, I think anyway. Frawley's got a better long-kicking game, but their short-kicking game, I think, are both good. They both had three dropouts apiece, so... Yeah, I'm not putting my numbers. But, I, I thought Frawley had... I think there was eight total, and I think Frawley had at least six of them. But, no, there's three yeah. apiece here. Um, and Sam obviously brings more of a running game. Frawley only ran the ball two times. He crashed over twice, but... Defensively, no. We're not having an argument. Their kicking game was far better. I think a better side. The bigger difference between the two is Frawl is better defensively for me, which is the main worry when you've got Sam there. They spotted Sam up for the first try. So we're arguing about two reserve graders, really. But someone has to play because George Williams is no longer there. So maybe Frawley does enough in that game for Ricky to look at and go, okay, well maybe he can control things a bit better and be a bit more steady in defence moving forward for us, but on the manly side of things, like we said, um, they move on. They'll get their two players back. We'll see what they can do on the back end, but within that run again, besides the Parramatta game, I think they've towed up a lot of teams under them. I'm still more interested to see how they go when they play a South, a Melbourne, a Panthers, etc. Um, so that'll be interesting. South Cowboys, 46-18. Uh, I thought they had the better of the game early. South Sydney, possession territory. They only got a penalty goal, then the Cowboys came up with two corker tries in particular, the Tamalolo line break and the hands and the football that was exchanged there. But the back end of the half, they just pulled them apart. And uh, Cody Walker, just outstanding. The difference when he is on the field, like if, if he wasn't there, I I don't know how they'd go. Honestly, I don't. The variation, his long passing, his short passing, how square he plays, he plays eyes up, he's deceptive in the way he adjusts his depth given the pressure, whether he's getting jammed, whether a team's a holding on him, his running game, the kicks on top of that. I thought Taft did a really good job. He was super busy at the back. He joined in well and linked in for that role that Latrell plays. Um, even the young bloke at nine, Memo, looked at him, thought, you know, he's, he's a pretty small fella, but he certainly did his work defensively. Hattricks to both wings, they were slick. Uh, I think the only thing for me that sort of ruined this game is I, I couldn't understand how Knight, wasn't even a penalty, and they got a report afterwards. And then Lukey, an attacker or a bloke, gets dropped, got sent to the sin bin. Like that, that really, I, I don't think the result would have been any different. I still think the Cowboys were heading for a loss, but that really shut the game down. Yeah, head scratcher. Um, and again, we talked about the rules the other week, and I don't want to go on about it because it's been that, but fuck, we've gone from one extreme to the other completely. And then to have a half hit with an arm sticking out late blatantly um, and then one that was more of an accident go to the bin I, I'm baffled yeah um, South were just too good executed played faster Cowboys are uh, bottom 14 mm. well, 2,000 metres to 1,000 57% possession 8 line breaks to 1 they just got absolutely burnt and I guess the best thing during this period where they've had four or five guys out is they've got to have a look at their squad and 
like I said, I think Taft's got a great future. He's one of those guys they're looking at to play in the halves. He's come through playing six and seven. He can also play one. Milne getting his opportunity on the wing has probably pushed Mansour further back in the order. Sele's playing some good football with the opportunities had. Burns finally got a game, did a good job, and uh, young Memazoulis at nine was solid as well. So uh, they've got to look at a bit of their depth, which is a good thing heading into the finals. Uh, Roosters dogs I thought this was a bludger of a game to be honest the, the weather was ordinary but the game not much better after the two early tries from the Roosters I thought oh, this could just be one of those nights unfortunately for the dogs where they get blown away but uh, to their credit they stuck to it I, I certainly think the Roosters didn't help themselves their errors and their discipline plenty of drop football but uh, the dogs in particular off the back of Lachlan Lewis defended very very well thought he kicked well uh, did a really, really good job. The, the trial where he caught Manu on the front line, put the chip in, then the other one obviously came off the error. was just all effort, and I thought their energy was back. I thoroughly enjoyed one thing of all, which was watching Jared and Thompson, Luke Thompson, go against each other. They found each other all night, which was great. Um, but second half, minimal amount of points. The Roosters had plenty of opportunity and plenty to throw at the Bulldogs, but they held on, partly, again, I guess, execution, the conditions, but I, I'm not going to fault the effort. Absolutely outstanding. Um, late in the half, obviously, Ikevalu off a nice cutout ball, cuts back in field. They kick a penalty goal, and for the most part, that, that was about the only action in the second half. But, um, yeah, I think for the Roosters, a much-needed win after a couple of big losses. They're still without a ton of troops. And for the Bulldogs, it's probably good for fans to see that sort of effort after the disheartening loss last week. And I guess how good... Some of the young guys where I thought Shup and Manu only having two games together and playing first grade up from Fleg and Cup being a couple of younger guys defended quite well. Lewis, like we said, with limited opportunities uh, in the way. Both Cup, Manu and Shup, they played a lot of footy together. So, so the combination's been good. And then Lewis coming in, I thought he did a good job as well. Um, Thompson again, Jackson made 56 tackles, but yeah, for the Roosters, the real standout was. Jared, Jared was absolutely huge. Well, out of all the halves that have dropped back to cup this year, Lockie Lewis has been an absolute standout. Mm. Anytime we've had Lockie Lewis there, like we've always had good results. Well, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get solid yardage, a solid long kicking. He's consistent with that. He defends very well. He put his body in front and, you know, his running game's okay. It's not great, but you know what you're going to get. But he certainly won't shy away um, from the defensive side of things and, he was pretty good the other night, bar one time where Satili got over him. But again, he got wrong-footed in the wet, went low. But yeah, for the Roosters, Jared was huge. Uh, he he has been huge during this period where he's been relied on. I think Radley on return, how much he got his hands on the football, helping out with the link play, playing in the middle. He really, really stood up and made, made his uh, game count. And then Manu at the back, he got caught out once or twice, been an attack again. He's just so dangerous when he gets to play at fullback. The try he scored... So simple, ran for 280 metres. Um, and again, I, one thing I, I saw in this is they obviously still aren't leaning on their bench, proving that point. Like we said, that they run out of troops. The most minutes was Nat Butcher. He got 48. They didn't use Ben Thomas at all. And their other two subs only got 17 and 13 minutes. So uh, heavy reliance on those few veterans. And they got the job done in a very ugly game. Yeah, it was ugly. I think... That's about the size of it, I mm, I think uh, a little bit too much has been made of the Sam Walker moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't sort no, of... I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have an issue with that at all. 
The well, world is just a non-event for me. Well, I didn't see the press conference or anything. I'm preferring to sort of, I prefer him to, to do it a different way, but, like, I don't, everyone's fucking outraged by it. Again, it's one of those ones that just go, I don't understand why you're so outraged. Yeah, well, I, no. I didn't watch the press conference, but was anything even said? Did Robinson say no. anything? No. no. He just said he's smart, he's a kid, he understands how to, you know, how to manage a game. He did it against the Titans, like, hmm. two or three years. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. But, uh, I don't want to bitch your mind about it. He, he, I, I didn't think anything of it. I think when you're leading, you have possession, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Hmm. So, yeah. I don't know, I don't like that. As a coach, I'd probably rather kick it into a corner or run the ball out. Yeah, or get to a corner. Get a fence. Yeah. Like, get... Realistically, he, his job there is to manufacture a play which is going to run the time off the clock, and that's what he did. Mm. Well, like you said. How he did it. If you want to be offended by how he did it, then you probably need to look at your own loss. Mm. Like, if, that, if that's really what you're going to take out of that game, like it was a bit of a stinker of a game, maybe that's why it was generated so much outrage I don't know but uh, yeah I think we're, we're too often we're looking for something to nitpick at and be negative about but well, I think most of it comes back to again what you can see on the game so they flashed out to the box and he looked fairly disappointed I'm assuming it was more I think he looked disappointed he was just he just looked like, looked like he was thinking hmm. like, oh, I thought it was more just because he's not smiling doesn't mean he's not he's not happy no. Or that he's angry. Or I, like, I didn't think he looked angry. I just thought he looked like he was concentrating and thinking. That's what you do when you, you just finish his game. Finish the game. He's probably thinking about, you know, he, he obviously wouldn't have been happy with the performance. Well, that's more what I was thinking. I think so overall. I thinking more about a, a whole team thing, not so much about the play that just happened. Mm, that was my point. I think overall he was probably disappointed with the fact that they got out there with a 10-0 lead. They were very scrappy. Yeah. They made a lot harder than what they needed to. Um, a lot of people say to me after wins like oh smile mate and it's, or a lot of the time it's like well it's not because I'm not happy I'm just thinking about you know what I'm going to say to the team or you know are there things that I need to address like you know who are we playing next week what are we like there's a lot of things that as a couple like really you, you don't I, I don't really feel happy and relaxed until every player walks out of the dressing chair and I can sit down and have a beer with my coaches you know like, and then you go okay like that, that's when you go, okay, like I've got a, I've got the full picture of the situation. Mm. Because you can, you can get in there and they go, well, you've, you've won and you, but you've got fucking five injuries or, you know, whatever it is. There's always things to think about and manage, so. Yeah. Oh. I don't think that context of coaching is spoken about a lot and we just too often go off one little flash up to the coach's box and we link that to something that happened on the field and assume that he's got the shits about something or, you know, we sort of draw emotion and draw behaviour, which just sometimes has no, doesn't hold any water. Mm. Well, we'll move on from that one. The last game, Sharks-Warriors, 20-12. to uh, Again, another close loss for the Warriors. They started off early, plenty of energy. They had the possession territory, but Cronulla, for the most part, hold on. Um, they finally earned a try off the back of the pressure they built, Walsh gets a try off a ball that wasn't knocked dead, but then it just completely flipped. Um, it went the other end of the field. The Warriors just handcuffed themselves back-to-back. If it was an error or a penalty back-to-back, they just invited the Sharks down. All those repeats ended up telling. Cronulla were just generating 
momentum, the going at Egan or going at Nikarima, isolating them one-on-one, getting quick play of the balls, and the back end of the half there, they just went bang, 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 banked three tries really, really quickly there. Probably more disappointing are the ones like Trindle off an edge where just gets straight at Nikarima and crashes over, or Ueli, bit of width off the dummy half and two middles there were caught. He could have drove a truck through the gap, and then a penalty goal right on halftime makes it 20-6, to six, but... Yeah, the Sharks scored their 20 points in 18 minutes. Mm. And literally, second half, zero points in the Warriors again. Plenty of opportunities, but mm. just couldn't ice them. Yet you had Berry get a couple opportunities. And for a young guy, I think he's he's looked pretty good. Um, I the, like him. I like him a lot. Yeah, he's a quality. Looks very quality. Um, I think the other thing for them, just impatience, which is probably going back to what Brown said earlier in the year about you're all wrapping Walsh up, but there's some things to his game that he's obviously got to learn and he, he pulled the trigger early a few times there, played two or three when he didn't need to um, and I honestly think unfairly on him as well, there's a lot of expectation because I think they got nothing out of Nick um, his head potentially might be a little bit elsewhere, there's talk that he wants to come back to Queensland I think he's taken his option but with the view to come back here next year if he can you know, O'Sullivan tries hard but again I really don't think he's a first grade half I think he's a cup half, he's a backup. And, you know, Egan, he has his moments, but as far as manipulation, creativity, a dummy half, I don't think he really is. He, he's a runner. If he gets an opportunity to duck out, he will. So I think they leaned way too much on Walsh, which showed in this game. Two of Archer busted his ass as he always does. He popped up for that nice try, whether that cross play. I think Katoa, again, for a 20-year-old, has awesome flashes, but still some inconsistencies as well. But, you know, he was short. There's a couple of moments like that. Berry was held out a couple of times. Montoya saves that knock-on, turns into a kick, but all three players are offside. That, like, there, was, there was moments there for him, but they just couldn't get the job done. Yeah. And it's uh, another one of those games, unfortunately, where uh, they were right in it, but six losses by six or less, three by field goal. And this was another one I thought they were capable of winning, but they just shoot themselves in the foot. So for the Sharks... They make up for a poor loss they had last week. I thought Johnson showed really good control. I think he forced four or five dropouts. Speaking of uh, good kicking game and taking care of the game, and their bench had a great impact. Ueli and Williams came on. The back end there caused a lot of damage. Plenty of work early on by Rudolph, Tolman, etc. Uh, Warriors, same old, same old. Rogers always right there. Thought a couple of the forwards were okay. Like we said, Barry had some moments, but... Uh, You'd think, again, with uh, what they've had to deal with in terms of injury, squad changes and all those close losses, I think the season's almost done for them now. Yeah, I agree. So, hard for them, but, yeah, that's the reviews done. We'll jump into our Origin 3 preview. Unfortunately, not a decider this year, but as a New South Wales fan, not complaining, but I guess we're in the point that we're in now. I want to see a sweep. That would be the next best situation. But a quick run through team changes. We obviously know for New South Wales that the halves, Cleary and Luai, both out with injuries and Daniel Safidi out as well, replacing them. Moses comes into debut. Mitchell Moses at halfback. Dale Finucane goes from being the 18th man to now being vice-captain in the starting front row. And Appy Coruscant is making his debut off the bench with Whiten pushing into the other halves spot. So a brand-new pair of halves and a new middle. Uh, on the Queensland side of things, Jair obviously got himself kicked out. David Fafita was suspended. McCulloch and Kyle Felt were dropped, and they've been replaced by Hamiso, F- Tabuai Fado, who moves into the centres. 
They've pushed Holmes back to the wing with Ponga coming in at fullback. AJ Brimson's back on the bench in that utility role. And Tom Flegler, I'm assuming, or Kurt Mann are the two other guys that are left over who will push in onto the bench along with Frank Molo. So uh, I guess we start on the Queensland side of things. Big changes uh, for them. I guess one player they would have loved to have had the whole time in this series, plus Harry Grant, which would have been a positive, is Caelan Ponga. Because Caelan Ponga certainly can address some of the problems they've had from the back in terms of being a link between their halves, bringing another threat, another ball-playing option, but also a great run threat as well. So I'm sure we'll see plenty of him. Hunt in at nine now, um, assuming that he's going to have to play a lot of minutes because we saw in game one that when Brimson come on the field, Defending in the middle, it's not a great idea. So I'm assuming they're going to at least ask Hunt to play 65, 70, if not the whole game. How they use Brimson, I don't know. Uh, but for them, also with Arrow missing, I'm assuming Tino's going to have to push in probably to start now, which would make the bank, as we said, the bench, sorry, Mo, Molo, and possibly Flegler. And again, we talk about form. He's a young guy, but his club form and where he's at right now. Probably shows where Queensland's at right now with a few of the injuries they have and obviously a lack of players to select. Yeah, that's right. It's a simple fact at the moment that they don't have the quality or the depth of quality. I think this is probably the best side that they've picked purely because Pong was the best one that they've picked and I think Hunt is the best nine outside of Harry Grant that they've been able to pick. And then you pair them with Munster and Cherry Evans. That mm. looks a good spine. Uh, and certainly the best spine I think they've been able to run out. I think your questions come back yeah, to the I same thing we've had all series. Can they get going, play one and two? Wales aren't, aren't as strong. Obviously a change in the halves for, for the Blues. Now, I, I think the biggest, the biggest issue is going to be complacency. Well, two things for the Blues. Can, can their halves work together? Because I think Whiten's been horrendously out of form. Moses has got questions on him in big games. Simple as that. Whatever way you want to cut it. And we saw that in his last game when he, you know, hooked that kid to win the match for the Eels against the Panthers. Freddie's put a lot of faith in him. Freddie likes him. And, and, and that's okay. Freddie's not the right to, to, you know, pick his side here and, and put full faith in Mitchell Moses. And look, I hope it works out. But the fact of the matter is, he's, he, it's his origin debut. He's got questions on him, and Jack Whiten isn't in the the best of form. So that, that coupled with Queensland having a stronger side, coupled with the fact that we've already won the series, the Queensland embarrassment, the dry arrow issue, Paul Green, this just speaks a lot to the position that Queensland love when they're written off. So we need to be really wary, I think. And Freddie, Freddie's addressed this since the end of last game. You know, like, spoken about the great teams win 3 0 and that you don't want to lift the trophy on the back of a loss. And I think they, they have to do it in maybe 2018. They won the first two games. They won Melbourne, Sydney, and then they lost game three at Suncorp. So they've already had to do that, a lot of these players. I think the Blues will be primed up, but I also think the Queenslanders will be as well. The change of venue, they're going to get a, hopefully a sellout at the Gold Coast. So, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting. Yeah, well, I, I think this is the most interesting game of the series. I know the series is over, 
but I'm far more interested in this game because I, I felt like game game one, I guess there was a lot of interest, but game two, you sort of thought, well, we knew what was coming. Uh, it was sort of New South Wales by how much, but yeah, I don't know, this one just seems, feels a little different because there's a lot of changes. The series is over. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the game. Well, I think, again, they're right now six points. They've conceded 76. If they don't win by 10 or more Queensland, this is, they're technically the worst Queensland side of all time. So there's history to play for. They've had all the drama off the field. They've been horrendous, which generally, just at least in a pride and effort sense, you would never associate with Queensland. I think that, along with the sweep and everything that's been going on, it's going to be interesting to see how they come out and play. Because if this series so far has been anything to go by, this has been as controversial a lead-up or as disturbed a lead-up. So, um, yeah, if they don't come out and respond, it could get ugly. But my questions are similar to what they've been the last couple of games. Can they get going, play one and two? Can they win play one and two on the other side? But um, I just don't know if they can. I think Holmes going back to the wing with Coates. Ponga probably helps out a little bit more with the back as far as being able to link up or get the ball wider a bit earlier. I think Gagai's been quiet this series. He hasn't really helped out in yardage, which is usually a strong point. Um, if, they, if they don't get going in yardage and they get pinned to their own half and they kick off the back foot again, I think it'll be a real, real long night. And scarier again, with Tino pushing in to play with Welch, Pali, Ponga, etc. Like Again, probably stronger in the front line in that sense. And there's more attack with having Ponga and Hunt in those spine positions. But... They weren't able to win the middle with those guys last time. And I look at their bench now with Mo, Molo, Flegger, and even the Brimson, how they use him and think if, if they can't make a dent with their starting 13, they're in big trouble. Because I, don't, I just look at the bench and they've already struggled with that. I don't see how they're going to turn the game. So they, they need to strike early. They need to find some points. They've talked about Hamiso and him coming in the centres. I've been questioning him defensively at the Cowboys in an attack. No question. He's a kick threat. He's someone you could put an early kick in for. He's someone who can come up with freak plays on his own, but um, why I think he can recover defensively outside of the attacking 20 and mark up on Tom or run with him or cover ground, etc. with a Fox and these sort of guys, straight up defensively, instincts, decision-making right now, I don't think it's ideal for him to be there. I think it's a hard situation. It's a big ask, but I guess they can't do much worse than what they've done the last couple of games. He's probably part of their long-term future, but yeah, why he's got the speed to run and cover with him, I think his defensive decisions in general at the moment are still not the greatest. He hasn't come through the grades playing centre, so I think it's a big ask for him. Um, and I guess like we said about the hooker situation, big ask of Hunt to play that full 80, big ask on that starting pack, now without Aaron for feeder. So Welch, Papali, Tino are going to have to be good early and make a dent because when Molo, Flegler, etc. come on, I think there's going to be a huge drop-off Cherry Evans has been a non-factor. He needs to kick well and defend much better. He's been spotted up heavily. Munster's played in the dinner suit and hasn't been able to run the football. But again, off the back foot, it's pretty hard. Um, I think their main target is going to be Moses. I think Moses is one of these guys who we've seen can be spotted up. He's on that left-hand side. I expect Pongo, if they do get a bit of a roll on, to run a lot of traffic there with Munster and try and create a bit more space and place pressure on his inside and outside and see what they can do there. If they can create some space and some doubt, we've seen Tom only once when put under pressure this series jump in. Um, they've got Hammer, like we said out there. Holmes has been generally good with his track record. And I think the number one thing for them besides all that is just 
like we said, just aggression and pride. There's been absolutely none, which generally the thing that you talk about all the time, the free things, just bashing, good line speed, good kick chase, all the simple things, just making it a downright hard and messy game is what we associate with Queensland. They've just not been there. Yeah, exactly. And they've just been out and through and outplayed, so mm. they're going to need to defend strongly on play one too. They need to, we spoke about this at the conclusion of the last game, I mean, the review of game two, that the end of sets, how you finish your set and how you start your set, those two tackles. Mm. So how you kick, how you kick chase, and then how you defend on those first two plays. New South Wales just murdering Queensland in that area in games one and two. Now, whether New South Wales can do that now without clearing Lua, that's a huge responsibility on Mitchell Moses. Mm. And also, the fact he's going to be kicking now to Caleb Pond, not Valentine Holmes. So I think you're going to take a, a, an inferior kicker to a better returner. So that that's, in my head, is going to mean that Queensland are going to be in a little bit better field position for the majority of this match. I think the one upside for him still is that we've obviously played in much better field position in general just off the back of our go forward. So I expect that with Paulo, Yo, and Finucane coming in, that they'll still be able to do a job. Um, the bench is still very, very good in terms of the rotation there, having Angus and Haas to come in. Angus did a really good job playing as a middle. How they use RP is probably a different story. Do they deploy dual nines at some point and take off a yo and maybe let him play both of the middle and try to punch holes in them. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, the bigger question, I guess, is how the halves fit in because I think go forward for New South Wales is not going to be a problem. The rotation there is still very strong. They've got multiple first receivers who are going to take pressure off the halves. We've seen all those fullbacks, like we said, playing those channels left, middle, right. Tedesco on the ball through the middle, pushing around Cook and getting to the edges. Tom linking up, Latrell linking up, all those guys helping out. We know that yardage has clearly been an advantage. Our back five have ran for basically a 1,000 metres plus in both games. Uh, the trails even helped out huge there. Toto, huge metres. Tedesco grinds in that regard. And Tom set the trend in game one when he had the first two carries and in the set and basically busted them up. But um, I think the biggest question we have here is exactly what you said. It's our halves. And are we ruthless enough to finish the job? Because with all the weapons they've got around them, with what's already in place, I think their job is very, very simple. And I think Cleary and Luai played a simple role. Neither of them tried to dominate the two games we played in. They assessed the situation that we were going forward. We had space on the outsides. We were well in control. They fed those two centres. They fed Tedesco. They kicked well. They defended well. So for Whiten, I'm a sh- I don't know which edges they're going to play on. I'm guessing that Whiten's going to be on the left-hand side. They both play left at club, but Moses played right for the majority the years prior. Um, so if Whiten's on the left with Tarek and Latrell, I'm assuming his first point of call is simple run or pass, early ball to Latrell or short to Tarek. You know he'll defend well from that spot. Moses, like I said, defense is going to be a real key. I think he's got more pressure because he's going to have to do all of the kicking on majority with Whiten there. Um, and obviously Cook not having a kicking game, but in terms of his role, again, he just needs to give early ball to Tom play short where it's best and I don't think he runs enough as he is at club so I don't expect to see a whole lot here but he doesn't need to be as he says at Parramatta like the one who's got a guide steer do this this and this I think there's enough good players around him the kiss theory just keep it simple stupid the other two halves have done that in the games prior and, and New South Wales have been fine yeah exactly so 
Yeah, I'm expecting, again, that backfire for us in particular. Just the work they've done. We've been playing well upfield from where we hit Queensland the whole series. We've been on the front foot for attacking kicks. If they can do that, that'll also take pressure off Moses. If he's not looking for long kicks and trying to find grass, if he's doing those downtowns or those attacking bombs because we are able to control field position again, uh, I think that'll take a lot of pressure off him. But, yeah, interesting to see. Like we said, Finucane elevated all the way from not being involved, 18th man, and now being vice-captain and starting in the front row. So, role for him there. RP getting his debut, how many minutes? And they carried Nico Hines as 18th, Gutherson as 19th, and Yutukamano as 20. So, um, yeah, I'm still fairly confident in the New South Wales side of things. So, my prediction, uh, I'll, I'll go a little bit less just with the halves and not being worried about them, but and also that situation, like you said, hopefully not complacent, but I'm going to say New South Wales by 12. I think first try, well, I had questions, like I said, on Hammer's defense. I think there's potential there that uh, Turbo pips him early if we get a bit of roll on, so I'm going to go Turbo to score first. And man of the match, I'll, I'll go a bit left field. I think Tommy was, well, not really left field. Tommy was man of the match in game one. Teddy was man of the match in game two, and the other fullback in the team is playing on the other side of the field has been huge in both games. And not quite been there, but I think maybe this game he will. I'm going to go Latrell to get man of the match. Mm. Down, I'm going to go New South Wales by 14. Mm-hmm. That's the number I had in my head. Uh, first try, I'll go Adokar. Similar to you, I think Turbo will probably put Adokar away. Uh, man of the match, I'm going to go Yoey. I think he's going to have a really vital role in, I guess, directing the halves and linking the halves up. Um, and I just think he'll do a job in the middle of the field. So, mm. yeah, I'll go as a... Uh, you just brought up one point that I forgot on my sheet here is exactly that. That's another thing for the halves where Yo is the link between the middle. They don't need to handle the ball as much. They can basically sit on their edges, let him be that control through the middle of the field with him and Cook and Tedesco and um, for the most part they're not going to be dominant first receivers there's a lot of guys in the first few games and the way we've played that have played at first receiver and handled the football and taken a lot of responsibility and the whole team's contributed that's all they have to do yeah so there you go there's our predictions for Origin 3 and the odds for that I think I've still got up here somewhere. I've got a thousand web pages open at this point in time. But uh, I think New South Wales, after the halves changed, things opened at almost a dollar twelve to five dollars, but they've now shortened in with Blue Bet. New South Wales are now a dollar twenty eight Queensland into three dollars seventy. One to twelve, New South Wales is two ninety, Queensland five fifty, thirteen plus New South Wales dollar ninety five Queensland is $11. Uh, and those first try scorer markets, Adokar is the favourite at $7.50. Tom Trevojevic not far behind at $8.50. If you like the other outside backs, Latrell is paying $10. Tedesco at $11. On the flip side, Coates or Holmes both at 15 Ponga, $18. Gagai, $19. Hammer, $19. Um, a back row try, which is generally something I always liked in big games. It's not as common anymore. Sims, you could get 21. Murray, 17. Felice, 34. Munster, 34 bucks. So 
not bad value. And man of the match, the three favourites are all three New South Wales fullbacks. Tom and Tedesco are both $5.50. Latrell Mitchell is eight fifty, And surprise, surprise, the favourite for Queensland, if they were to win, is Karen Munster. And Kalen Pong are both at $12. So there you go. Bluebet.com.au. If you're going to bet with anyone, do it with the true blue bookies. Bluebet.com. Download the app today. That is our Origin 3 preview. And I guess Boxhead, because it is a midweek game, uh, we obviously have to do our tips for the weekend, which is hard with not knowing who's going to back up. But Or do we, rev- or do we review? Well, I thought we are going to do a review. Well, we can do a review. That works. So we could either do that, what, straight after or Thursday? Yeah, either way. And there'll be a day in between. So that at least gives us an idea to uh, look at the game, see what happens in terms of injury. I, I think right now, obviously, the Friday and Saturday games, the ones that you think would have a question mark, like you guys, the Titans, you've got a couple to back up. You've got one-day turnaround, Eels, Moses, Paulo, Manly versus the Dragons. Like, if Hunt plays big minutes, it's probably going to be hard to ask him to back up. And Sims is uh, more at the back end of his career and been off some injuries. Manly, Tom, after one day, you'd think they wouldn't push him. So they're the most likely matches to be affected. Uh, Maybe Melbourne on Saturday, looking at the names here. They've uh, obviously got a, a big origin contingency. They might rest some plays as well. Uh, we'll figure that one out but to finish off I've got it here a lot of people have brought it up before but uh, I think Johnny Pappas who brought it up today a bit bit of a rant he he wants a weekly rant from you so I threw a few names in there Savo Brock's blow up or Boxhead's beat down what do you reckon do you reckon you can come up with something every week for the fiends it can either be a rant it could be an opinion could be just someone who's got it you got just Rewind this in the first 20 minutes of the podcast. <clears throat> vaccines. Fucking vaccines. Seriously. COVID. I'm over it. Lockdowns. There you go. And they, they wanted me to... I'm over fear. That's what I'm over. They wanted me to bring I'm up dominoes. Fucking make us all scared. Ram home fear. Everything's so negative and fear-driven. Even the politicians. Here, Gladys, not thousands of people are going to die. Okay, Gladys, fucking settle down. <laughs> uh, there it's you ridiculous. go. There you go. Boxhead's beat down. Yeah, well, you didn't give me any notice. No. Nah. Go, we... go and listen to the, the first part of the podcast. There's a lot of things I'm over at the moment. It wasn't so much notice. We're seeing if you're on board. A few have brought it up. They'd like to hear you have a rant every week like you do. And then they wanted me to bring up Domino's Pizza again, which you've already addressed in the group combo. Well, I thought interesting that Domino's Pizza have got Paul Gallen and Nate Miles. Like, seriously, if I rated Domino's Pizza again, I'd want Paul Gallen to punch me in the face. <laughs> awful. There you awful go. pizza. Shout out to their CEO, Domo's. I, mean, I, th- I, th- I, I threw a photo up on the weekend of a p- delicious Italian joint up the road from us, which you know well. Yeah, Popitino, it is good. Popitino. So if you're in Cannons or in the Penrith vicinity, the Penrith... Uh, wider area go and uh, have a look at Poppy Tino but I think it was Curtis Smith I'm going to get one on Wednesday night I reckon they're going to deal buy two pizzas get a third free there you go shameless plug for Poppy Tino I might do that on Wednesday as well yeah you should if you're in the riff if you're out our way get on board good pizza good food 
But uh, this all started off the back. New Yorkers, it's fucking shit pizza. I've been to New York, I've eaten a lot of good pizza in New York. Your shit pizzas, Domino's, are nothing like New Yorkers. Shout out CEO, Domino's. Domino's. Brock loves it. Yeah, charity fight. Me versus Domino's. <laughs> Donnie, Donnie Mage, Brock wants to punch holes in you. It's no good. Excellent. But shout out to Curtis Smith, he started all this. He was looking for the our good mate, Chris a fellow Titans fan of you and his uh, set up there moved me in and looking to change over the electricity or any of the services uh, the link's there for anyone if you're still looking to swap over use move me in and he brought up the free Domino's pizza and I don't blame him there's no, nothing quite better than a free feed but Domino's came up again and wanted to get you talking about it so mate if Domino's dropped 10 pizzas on my doorstep I'd throw them in the bin I'd still eat them you would you know I love a feed not a chance. All about it. I'm not about it, mate. Excellent. I'm not doing it. I was highly amused. It's great. Shit pizza. Anyway. Oh. I, don't, well, I, I don't have to worry about it now because I just don't eat it. That's it. Yeah, there you go. Sort of, mate. I don't eat it. You don't eat the pizza. It is not in the premiership of Brock's Pizza Totem. It's not in the premiership. <sighs> gone through a fair bit of alcohol though in the last two and a half weeks oh. well, it's not like I'm getting hammered every night I'm just having you know four to six beers it's hey, good you, as an old bloke that I used to work with who retired said you go home and medicate yourself to get through yeah that's what I'm he used to say to me they're running every day I've got no video to watch no training to do been on school holidays the kids are at daycare three days a week it's gold Old Bobby, his name was, he used to say to me all the time, going home to have a couple of anaesthetics to get me through. Yeah, there's a lot of people doing it tough, so. Yeah, 100%. Not good. And again. Small businesses, and this is the other reason. I don't, for me, like I said last week, people listen and go, you know, it's easy for you to fucking go nuts about the lockdown. The lockdown doesn't affect me. Like, realistically, we both, my wife and I stay here, we get paid. I'm filthy for small businesses and filthy for people who fucking aren't getting paid it's mm, well, ridiculous because there's no real alternative and the help's sort of gone and they're talking about a package now but it's like stay open support local business but don't you leave three weeks but don't leave your house but it's like well they've got operating costs but no one can go there but that's Assume like well, everyone's got COVID it's like okay. well what do you want the businesses to do fucking assume your breast inks for those teeth seriously it's no good yeah, no, and again, we've said it before, if anyone out there uh, is struggling in the sense of isolation or work or this, that and the other, uh, we, we hope you're not. We hope you get through this and uh, hopefully everyone will stay strong when we get past this shit sooner or later because it's, it's getting fucking old, that's for sure. Fuck, did I miss the, Is Kurt Mann in the origin side for Queensland? Yeah, he's in the squad. I don't think he's starting. But no, I just looked at, at any time try scorer and Kurt Mann, I was like, what? They haven't updated the teams yet from the suspension of uh, Arrow. They've still got Arrow listed starting and they've still got Fafita on the bench, but with them both gone, I'm assuming Molo and Flegler will come onto the bench and Tino will probably push in to start at lock. So wow. that would leave Mann as the 18th player because you're not going to push him in and have no. two utilities with him and Brimson. Like Brimson's role already is purely... I play Mann before I play Brimson as a utility. Yeah, well, he, he's probably more suited for more roles. I'm a, Titans, I'm a Titans man. I'd love nothing more than Brimson to play and play well, but he's not a utility. 
He's a, he's a one or a six, whereas man can play center, yeah. wing, fullback. He can throw yeah, him in a few ways. And it, he can defend better at nine. That, like, they did yeah. that to AJ game one. That wasn't fair. That's oh, ridiculous. He's played no middle at all during his career. Like, he shouldn't be in the middle of the field. So. Ben Hunt, any time tries for a six or fifty, I don't mind that. You don't mind that? I don't mind it because he's, he's sharp out of nine. He's fast. Well, my, my, my main issue is they need to get in good ball for him to score. Yeah, no, I'm just looking at any, like a, a Queensland player to score. Mm. Monsters 450, 650. What, what's what's Hamisa if they somehow get him from space? Uh, $3.10. I'm not, I'm not going to borrow that. I reckon that's all right. Blow it at your ass. Blow it at your ass. Yeah, nah. So you just go. I was looking at just going the three. Adokar, Topol, and Trebojevic all to score four dollars twenty. Well, yeah. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna have the same bet that I. I'm just gonna have the same bet I've had personally every game so far, which has been a pineapple on the trail to score, and so far it's paid off. He's two dollars, mate. I don't care. That that turns into a hundred, so I'm just sticking with it. Just, just another 50 on the trail to run over Dan Gago again. Shout out to all the English soccer fans out there. They cost me fucking $650 this morning. Well, we had the opposite. I had 100 on, them, 100 on them to win the tournament at the start of the tournament at 650 Happy days. They were, what were they up? They are up 2-1 after two penalties and then just absolutely shit the bed. Well, I have the opposite shout out. Shout out to my mate Coddy, who is Italian, who told me to back him at $9. I didn't have the investment you did. But sitting there listening this morning, good result. Donnarama, the young goalkeeper, saved three. And the English team made substitutions just in time for penalties for guys that hadn't been on the field, which whether they're penalty specialists or not, I think that's a lot of pressure. And it was for Sancho, Rashford, and uh, Bukayo Saka took the last one. He's a 19-year-old. So, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, well, the the uh, English goalkeeper came up with a fucking unreal save. Pickford. Um, and it sort of, he got his finger through it, it came off the post and bounced out, was mad. And I was like, this is good. And then straight up, like, in the saved. No good. Yeah, well, like I said, Donnarumma come up with a couple of good ones. And, yeah, unfortunately for England. Even the um, the first penalty, Harry Kane's like, he went the right way. He just came in it perfectly. Yeah, well, the goalkeeper has been huge. I think they have young player of the tournament. I don't know who ended up getting it, but I think he was one of the favourites for it, Donnarumma, for... Italy, but he was, yeah, he, was good, he, he was very good in the last penalty shootout, so that's twice. Yeah. And what a shit role that would be. Like, taking a penalty is hard, but imagine being the goalkeeper. Yeah, but I heard Bostich talking about it on the Matty John show. He's like, there's no pressure on the goalkeeper. He's like, you just... The pressure's all on the guy kicking the wall, and I sort of tend to agree with that. Yeah. Anyway, let's go. It's 10 past 11. It's a big ask, but there you go. Everything wrapped up. Origin previewed. We'll be back probably after the game on Wednesday night. We'll do a review of game three and uh, preview the round ahead, hopefully with a little more information or an insight after that game if there's any injuries, suspensions or anything uh, in terms of the upcoming round 18. And from that point on, two-thirds of the season gone, Boxhead. There's been madness. Relocated the competition. We'll... Wait and see how the next month plays out, and if we get the game back in New South Wales, um, we'll get it back. 
lots of questions and lots to happen in the next few weeks, but we're in the back third of the season now in the running. Let's see if any teams can lock up seventh and eighth and make a bit of a statement. That cluster is still down there, but one to six pretty much looks sorted. So there you go. Everyone enjoy the Origin on Wednesday night. If you're up on the Gold Coast, make sure you buy some tickets, pack out that stadium, sell it out regardless of it being a dead rubber. Support the game, support your team. Hopefully they make a better effort of things. And uh, if you're a New South Wales fan, fingers crossed we get a clean sweep. But that wraps us up. Big thanks to Panos Solar Centre. If you're going to do a system, there is no one better. Give them a call today, 1800 or visit au. And Bluebet, great supporters of our charity account, bluebet.com.au, a true blue bookie. If you're going to bet with them, they're the ones you should be giving your cash over to because they support us and they support charity. Download the app today, bluebet.com.au. Boxhead, I'd wish we were watching the game together, but we're in lockdown. Discipline. I'll, I'll put me put the fire pit on, get the beers cold, order a pizza, and I'll sit out the back with the dogs. That's it. Oh, well, I, hopefully we can do this in person again soon because I hate doing it over the phone. Yeah, it is what it is. I know, but it sucks. That's well, it. it is what it is, Brad. It is what it is for the team. But again, for everyone out there, enjoy Origin. We'll be back Wednesday night. Stay safe. And for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com